Hello, Hosebo. Ni hao. Welcome to Planet of the Climates. POTK is a Climadel podcast to bring you the latest information and insight into the world of climate action. Klima is a blockchain protocol backed by carbon credits that gives people a chance to fight climate change as a collective. My name is Phaedrus and I'll be your host on this adventure. I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Reku Man. Reku, what do we have in store for our friends today? Today we'll be talking with Asfi and Archimedes for a very special anniversary episode. Let's jump right in. So today we're excited to be celebrating Klima's first anniversary. Maybe that's a Klimaversary. We've brought back our very first POTK guest, Asfi, as well as Klima co-founder and POTK veteran, Archimedes. The podcast kicked off in style a year ago through an inspiring conversation with Asfi, where he shared his story and his story around the DeFi roots with Olympus DAO and what drew him to become an early climate. As our later episode with Archimedes uh, continues to be one of our most listened to episodes, we've now surpassed 30,000 all-time downloads. So we really appreciate that and appreciate you for being along the ride for the journey here too. So happy to have both of you here for this little bit of a, a retrospective or a fireside chat. I think we're all one year older at least, and maybe it feels like five years wiser. I don't know how much the actual mileage is here, but it's been quite a year. So right off the top, maybe for, for both of you, whoever would like to jump in first, what's been your highlight memory of the last 365 days, whether that's something in real life, in DeFi, or you know, maybe climate-related, but not necessarily? I mean, my second daughter was born 40 days ago, so that's the current highlight. From a crypto perspective, I guess more recently, I've just been digging a lot into literature published by people who got Nobel Prizes in economics. But basically what I'm doing is I have a degree in economics and, you know, I've been an investment banker and a private equity fund manager most of my life. But I guess the biggest thing I went through with crypto was like, you know, there was a brief moment where I was like, oh, I think I understand how this works. And then I guess now I'm at the point where I'm like, I don't know anything, not just about crypto, but even the things that I've studied. And so I've kind of been going back to some of this literature and then tying it up with some of these fun on-chain experiments that are happening. So trying to read a healthy mix of older academics, but but contemporary ones too. So in the contemporary ones, George Selgin comes to mind, Perry Merling comes to mind. Basically nerding out a lot, kind of always done that all my life. And now, you know, doing that more professionally, I guess. So Archie, how about for you over the last 365 days there, what sticks out for you? Ooh. There's a lot of memories I could point at. Some good, some bad. <laughs> so, there were definitely times that were very challenging for what we were doing. The one that sticks out to me the most is like the first two days of the launch, like where I basically did not sleep and me and Atmos were like patching stuff left, right, and center to like get this whole thing running. <laughs> like that was that was a very stressful two days. I mean, the first couple months were definitely brutal. Like we were meticulously monitoring absolutely everything, every single request like that came through, like this is a bug, that's this is, needs to be fixed. Like we were fixing everything. That was a lot of fun. I really, like as, as crazy as it was, it was a lot of fun just like doing that yeah i mean i have like other memories i'm like oh, i met like a lot of the team for the first time in like years these are people i've known for a long time but i've never met in person so in the last year i went and visited a couple of them i'm gonna visit a few more of them in this month so it's gonna be cool like i i get to see people i've worked with for so long on the internet in real life that's gonna be cool so jumping back to Asfi, you have been an og omi exploring olympus world d5 before you found Klima. 
maybe you want to just check in with you like have you actually uh, reflect a little bit on what olympus have brought to the table and how the original idea of klima would be on that in your mind i didn't know anything about crypto till last summer and that's what i talked to you about in the first time we spoke that i was on this mission for internet for all it was my plan was falling apart and then i saw this technology that could run an internet service on a crypto backend so that was a moment of oh this is so interesting and so olympus i found through a google search and then started doing a twitter search I was really really fascinated by mainly i think in hindsight i think what fascinated me more than olympus was the dashboard because i could track activity like my core skill is financial modeling and doing deals and you know being able to see a balance sheet for the first time and see it update on the hour every hour that was really cool i think that's what got me hooked but in a more reflective way i think you know it it was the i think the really big breakthrough is the bootstrapping mechanism it's the bonding mechanism to your second question about tying it with klima i mean i i thought it was a really lovely idea to use that bootstrapping mechanism in order to buy a ton of carbon credits in order to do two things drive up the price of carbon and also make a transparent on-chain carbon market so that idea appealed to me then and it continues to appeal to me now excellent Definitely appreciate that answer and that perspective on yeah what Klima is bringing to the table and kind of standing on the shoulders I guess of the Olympus DeFi world right. I mean it's changed so much right and I think for the better both protocols. I mean I I had uh, the pleasure of meeting Dionysus and Sai Ziggy in uh, DC. We had gone to meet some US government lawmakers to basically say you know crypto is not all crazy and what was encouraging was that I felt that. they were able to understand i would say the crypto use case relatively easily when we were talking about klima but for me personally what was cool was meeting these two very talented guys and just kind of realizing that okay so they have all these carbon tons on chain and now they're thinking about how to make this treasury more useful through klima infinity and it was very reassuring to spend time with them and see like you know this team is continuing to to push onwards and create utility especially you know in a in a tense market that was encouraging and very reassuring so archie i know we're kind of flipping back and forth here as for you just talked about kind of like where we're at and klima goes to washington and this these chances to meet klima core team in person there archie you'd mentioned earlier just that you know your big memory was kind of around launch time there just want to give you another chance again that was october 18th 2021 i know for myself just hanging in the discord server after the uh, lbp launch was quite the vibes going on then for sure too just yeah any more you know thoughts around launch time or reflections looking back behind the scenes about what was going on at that time yeah it was chaos let's not beat around the bush <laughs> it was <laughs> it was chaos like at one point i remember the the discord server crashed cuz there was too many people talking people were like what's going on did they close the server we're like no like no one and then there was like other problems too because i was trying to always talk to amos about like all right like i've seen like this like five errors like this like can you handle that i'll handle this like we were like going back and forth and then it crashed for like 6 hours we couldn't like <laughs> talk to each other about like what was going on we're like oh no what <laughs> what are we going to do It was yeah, dramatic to say the least for sure. I mean, it was a good experience. I think that's that's what I would say is like I learned a lot in that small short span of time of launching a product with this kind of demand. 
And it was, I'm very fortunate to be part of that. But the harshest part of that whole thing is like, we did everything we thought we could in terms of planning. We're like, all right, we'll make sure this goes on at this time. That will go out this way. This like, like everything was scheduled. Everything was planned. Nothing was happening by the seat of our pants. And then like, as soon as it launched, it just like blew up. Like the whole plan was just gone. And we're like, okay, well now we've got to fix this and we got to do that. So, I mean, it was good. I mean, I would say life leading up to it, uh, and that was probably really interesting too. Like we spent six months before that, like thinking about this. Like we were we were talking about a, a project of some kind, like in January of that year. We were collectively like the founders of the time. We were meeting kind of every week or almost every two weeks with ideas and being like, okay, how do we collectively put our talent together and figure out kind of all the stuff because like we had all worked together in some form like in the past like small project here small thing there like we knew everybody and we knew everybody was competent it was just more like okay like how do we like harness this into something interesting and then yeah and then olympus rolled around and we we're like what if we repurpose this and then that's kind of like the whole thing that we kind of you know if you listen to the original bankless episode where i talked to the other guys we kind of like rolled into those ideas and said, okay, like, can we, can we launch this? Can we build this? And then, yeah, we started got to building. We started testing the idea. I mean, as he's right, like a year later, things are very different now. Back then it was definitely much more of an experiment and like very much like, could this even be possible? And now the answer is yes, we know this. We've proven that thesis. An on-chain carbon market is not only possible, feasible, but also preferred in terms of like actual quality it's now about scaling it, right? And so that's kind of like the next few years of what we're looking at is how do we scale this from one to 100? Because zero to one is finished. We've basically proven that thesis. We know that it works. We know that it can be done. And now it's like, how do we take it to 100 times the size today? And that's, I think, the next phase of, of everything that we're discussing is like, okay, what contributes to that goal? What contributes to scaling? What contributes to all this? And like a lot of things are out of our control and then a lot of things are in our control. So we're trying very hard to like remove a lot of those blockers and see what what can be done but it's it's the same like the mentality hasn't changed this is what i'm getting at here is like since march last year or january last year like we're always kind of planning the next steps what are we doing what are we doing what are we thinking what do we think it's never like i don't think we've ever found ourselves in a position where we were kind of rudderless and like oh we don't know what the next set of goals are it's more like how do we achieve them and i think that's yeah, I mean, for me, like, it, it's like I spoke about Vera and like their statements, and, like how they view the whole market, and that's going to be interesting. But ultimately, like, we're very much in charge of our own destiny at this point. And to Aspie's point, like, definitely we split from the Olympus ecosystem. Like, yeah, we definitely use the same mechanics and it all runs very similarly, but the end goals have totally changed, right? Like, they have very much split. We have our clear path forward. We know exactly what we have to do. And so does Olympus. And so for that, we're, like, super grateful, super fortunate to have been able to contribute to the space in, like, a meaningful way. Man, (laughs) no one thought that this whole, like, refi economy would emerge for history and context that's really important here is the founders of Klima are people who basically founded or built foundational ideas to refi years prior like much like they were experimenting in this space way before anyone else and that group is so small it's like a few people and it's very very niche like it never ever really grew to the size that it was today. after Klima of course you have like all these grants coming up you have a gazillion projects launching here there and everywhere and you have all these people like all of a sudden interested in this term refi but uh like the core people who actually knew the potential of what this could be and how it could be built 
are the founders, are the people who basically put this together. So I talked about it on the birthday. I wrote a giant Twitter thread that we wouldn't be possible where we are today without the team. And it's definitely true. Like it's, it's all these people, like they're uniquely poised to understand each element of what's happening. This is like a, another conversation we had with a lot of people was they were trying to understand how, what the value prop of what we were doing was, and they could only ever understand like one facet of it. They'd be like, okay, I get the crypto side, I get the like Olympus side, but I don't get the carbon side. And then like you'd have the reverse. You'd also have people be like, okay, I understand the carbon side. I don't understand why crypto or, or this is involved. And so you very rarely had people who understood everything all at once. But the team was people who did. Like, there's only like 10 people in the world who understand what we're about to do. And they're all in this room, <laughs> right? It's like, it's, it's a, uh, and so, and I, I feel that way many, like now even, like there's a lot more people who understand definitely. Like, it's like if you look at the DAO in general, and like we've done a long way, but like people who truly understand the magnitude of what we're doing, there are very few of them. And it's people that like, that will definitely like carry the torch in, in the future that will make this like, the success can be. We got super lucky in our opportunity, but we were extremely well prepared and we continue to be today. Thank you very much, Archie, for the answer. I know you kind of like answered, said no, but we, nevertheless, we still have to ask this question. I think the same goes for SV as well. I would love to hear your answer as well, which is if there's one thing you think that we could have done differently, what would it be? Maybe I start with Archie first since you're here on, on the mic. Every decision we've made to this point was made with the best available information at the time, right? And it's and I don't regret any decision we've made. I think everything we have to, we have to stand by, good and bad. Like it's some were good, some were better, some were uh, not so great. It's just given like it's super easy, super easy to just look back and be like, oh yeah, like we could have done this better, we could have done that better. But at the time, you didn't know what the outcome would be, right? Like in many cases, like a lot of the decisions we made were based on assumptions. They were based on ideas and based on speculation or models. Like I don't know how many models we built for the LBP, and by the end, we were like looking at all of them. We're like, okay, like there's an there's a median model here that we can use, and then and then as soon as it launched, it just got thrown out the window. So like it, <laughs> the there's a there's an old saying that says you can never ever plan what the the market is going to do to your product as much as you want to or think to i don't know if i would do anything differently i'd maybe consider how we approached registries maybe a bit differently but at the same time like kind of coming back to the history of Klima, like we were all already doing this in some form like we were already tokenizing carbon credits in some form or another and there was like a lot of people working on different things and these things were already happening just not the scale that was like concerning to vera right like 25 million tons on chain is something that definitely like yeah got their attention and that's kind of what we wanted and and we all kind of suspected that would eventually happen we were like oh yeah like you know we're definitely like if this takes off like we always always had this like idea in our head like if this works if we are right then this will gather attention of like every world organization when it comes to carbon and all those and sure enough it did i just think the one thing we underestimated was how fast that would be like it was within weeks that vera already had a statement on tokenization and crypto in the markets and we were like oh okay well we thought this was going to take a lot longer before that would happen so you know it's had it's definitely had its impact but yeah i don't think we would have done anything differently it's just yeah the way it is uh, also archie it's uh, no plan survives first contact with the enemy yeah 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 that's the one <laughs> I just want to say as, you know, someone who spent a lot of times building plans is that 
while that is true but like yeah, a lot of planning it does make you respond better because uh, you are less likely to freak out thank you so uh, for us for yourself because uh, Archie is from the inside his core team he sees everything from the inside but from an outsider perspective right as a uh, you were kind of like thought leader at a point of time for us at, uh, in the Klima community what would you think that we could have done differently you know, in hindsight I was obviously very excited that oh my god this is like you know I've found this Olympus mechanism now we're going to apply it but in hindsight I think I was really getting carried away with bull market euphoria and that's something I've been reflecting on a lot. I think I was experiencing peak Dunning-Kruger. I have seen the toll that price action has taken on many contributors, many whom I know personally. And, you know, so in some ways, you know, I do find myself reflecting that, you know, could I, I mean, you know, I mean, and I don't want to give myself credit that like I'm the one who pumped the price, but like, you know, I was definitely part of the cheerleading squad because I meant it. And I still do look, I mean, you know, I've like, you know, for what it's worth, I, you know, haven't sold a single Klima, will hold it, love the project. But I mean, I was kind of coming into crypto thinking these are startup investments. So they are illiquid. They're going to be, even though they are liquid, they're going to be illiquid and you won't touch it for a while. That's kind of the mindset I came in with. I keep in mind, I didn't know crypto till me of like 2021. So that's something I, uh, you know, is a reflection for me. Yeah, I, I agree that um during the period of time, uh, in fact, to a lot of people uh, when we are doing our kind of like survey, right? If not just um, people who is in the market itself, but also a lot of like contributors and like community as well. It was their first ever like pool market. It was actually a really big pool market. And and for some, it's their first year in crypto. So when the market kind of like tanked, a lot of people didn't know how to react and didn't know what to do. So I think it's not just yourself, but I think as a whole, at a point of time, the whole market was still relatively young, still relatively new and not going through a, a proper like full cycle of a bear and bull market. So it was tough for a lot of people, like myself included. Uh, you know, looking back, there's a lot of things that we could have done differently. But it is what it is. Like, I would say that, yeah, lesson learned. It's good lessons that we've learned. Things that have uh, changed a lot as well. And of course, this is the part where, you know, that's like why we say, you know, how we grow, not just as an individual, but as a business, as a protocol itself. Of course, now that we have talked about you know, what we have done differently, it's time to kind of like switch it up. So I would really, really like to ask, right, since now as we, we have you here first, what do you think, in your view or rather, what's Klima's bigger achievement, accomplishment rather, uh, to date so far uh, for you, in your view? I think it goes back to the line we talked about that, you know, no battle plan survives first contact with the enemy. See, like some of this is shaped by me being an entrepreneur. I've, I've been a, I've been trying to create some business or another since 2009. So I've kind of gotten used to, you know, the messiness of, I would say, early stage efforts. And I'm in one now. I'm like approaching 40. I have two kids. I'm doing another early stage startup. So... I think and what I've seen in, in these efforts is that like, you know, plans teach you very little. I think the magic happens when you find that feedback loop and then you start evolving and you start iterating. And so, you know, that is something that I see happening a lot at Klima that like, yes, there was a lot of planning, you know, Archie and co, they're all pretty deep into the world of climate finance, climate science. And then, you know, they launch. And since then, so for me, let's like, I think the, the cool part has been watching the 
social innovation alongside the technological innovation where, I mean, you guys, right? Like running this podcast, a number of contributors stepping up, getting involved. You know, I think when this launched, like, I don't think size Ziggy was uh, involved uh, to the, to my understanding. Like, I think, so I think, you know, someone like that joining a project, I'm like, okay, that's something I like that I see like that this, this whole creature, which is the people supporting Klima DAO and the protocol that is uh, Klima is now evolving, iterating, and it's in some pretty consequential conversations. It's getting cited in a bunch of work, whether it's Time Magazine or whether it's, you know, it's in a lot of relevant conversations. So that for me is the part that's like, okay, good. So, you know, you're in that feedback loop and, you know, so long as you don't get into a fight with each other, which causes you to say, I don't want to deal with you, which is how a lot of startups fall apart. And so long as you, you know, don't run out of money, which is also why a lot of startups fall apart. And, you know, you kind of survive long enough. I'm pretty certain, like, you know, this thing will keep on evolving. And that is the story of every early stage startup. I think what's kind of unique about these, you know, so-called DAOs or these very large internet-enabled organizations running in a Discord server is that there's just a lot of people who are like evolving together. And that has a lot of cons, a plenty of DAO hate out there, which I understand, like, you know, it's a, it's a difficult organization to, to navigate, uh, you know, but then at the same time, it's got some real beauty in it. And I guess the one thing that like really like, you know, makes my heart sing and that's not just Klima, I think that's crypto at large, is like this greater efficiency that we see in labor and capital markets. There are some very talented people, particularly who are not in developed countries. So I'm from Pakistan. And so, you know, for me, like developing countries will always be a pretty big part of this conversation. And so, you know, when I see like someone from a non-OECD country, you know, being a developer, creating videos, like facilitating podcasts, like this is fantastic because these are now people conversing with developed country talent who they ordinarily would not have had a chance to converse with. And at the same time, there's a bunch of very interesting capital that's having these conversations for the first time. And so that combination, like, you know, that whole organism uh, that's that's evolving, uh, that for me is like, okay, that, that I like that. And uh, that makes me uh, an, an enthusiastic investor, uh, you know. I'm psyched to see where this thing goes in the next year or so. Right, thank you for that. How about you, Archie? What do you think is the biggest accomplishment to date? Hmm, I never thought I'd get cited in any <laughs> sort of paper or project <laughs> for what we've done. Not me specifically, but like a project or something I worked on. That's huge in my books, just because like that's like a, a huge validation for the ideas that we've had for a long time. I think our biggest accomplishment, though, like is also our worst accomplishment, is getting the attention of Vera. Mm, Double-edged sword there. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's if you know the history of the VCM and you know like basically Vera and Gold Standard and how they emerge and basically like how they were started. They have been talking about integrating blockchain technology for years. Like there's been pilots, prototypes with Hyperledger, all sorts of weird stuff during the ICO phase. Like they were experimenting supposedly. There's been a lot of like attempts. No one's actually done it though. No one's cracked it. And so we were definitely the first to like actually get it done, uh, which subsequently like made everybody who didn't get it done mad. But it, it is an accomplishment because it, it basically has pushed them to reevaluate their strategies and push them to think about, okay, how is the future going to look like and should we improve the VCM? 
we all wanted change from Vera. Like, you know, I think the ultimate goal for many of us was that they issue tokens natively. Like, just, like the registry itself is smart contract. Uh, it would solve so many problems. But they, you know, they, they that's that's a long, that's a pipe dream for many of us. But it's it's definitely got them thinking about it in a more serious way. I I definitely think that's our biggest accomplishment. Like from a macro perspective. I mean, you can talk about metrics and numbers like 25 million tons on chain, 18 million in the treasury. I mean, like climate on its own is a monumental <laughs> accomplishment if you compare it against any other retail offsetting project that's raised money in the last 5 years. There are a couple ones I won't say the name on this podcast, but they won't sell us their domain name. That's one thing I will say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's a that's a that's a that giveaway to some extent. Uh, I, I just yesterday I did some reverse engineering just for fun. Like I was like, oh, I wonder like truly how many because you can look all this up, right? Like you can go in, on Vera and you can go in the registry and you can figure out how many offsets actually have occurred. So the Clima Infinity product that's emerged since March this year, like that's when that re- retirement aggregator Cujo finished, and that's when we kind of launched it with a UI that was meaningful and then obviously there's version two coming up but whatever like that fundamentally it launched in march and since then basically it's been integrated into every single product discussion or pipeline that goes into any sort of partnership or whatever collectively climadel has retired 330,000 tons in that span of time so for context that's only seven months not even a year moss.earth did like a couple massive retirements over the years like they're like the ogs in the space they've been here for since basically 2017 2018 and they did 110,000. So it's still big. So kind of factor that all in, right? It doesn't sound like a lot in the context of like 25 million tons, 18 million, but then you compare it against competitors, like the ones I just mentioned, who have raised something like $18 million in funding on a Series A and like their pre-seed, so collectively maybe 25 million. And they have offset in the last two years, 21 and 22, basically like the two years that their product has existed. Uh, the app that they've developed, 69,000 tons on Vera. Now, they also use gold standards, so I couldn't reverse engineer those because I didn't go in digging for those ones yet, but 69,000 tons. So, like, if you just want to compare raw magnitude, like, it's just two worlds apart, right? Like, it's completely different. And then, the, like, you talk about, like, actual capital efficiency, too. Like, you want to talk about how much money has gone into this ecosystem versus, like, others. It's far less. Like we spend way less. We do way more with the same with the same amount of money. And so like our effort to impact is very high, extremely high. And I think that's one of my things I'm really proud of as an organization is it's really hard to make an impact, like really hard. <laughs> and we've done it. Like we've done a very big one. You know, these things are important and it, and they are definitely big accomplishments, something to be celebrated. But like the thing is, these numbers like to us are like cool for us, right? Like we collectively look at this dashboard. We look at the carbon.climate.dial.finance and like we look at all that stuff. And we're like, wow, that's so awesome. Like look at those numbers. We're so miles beyond what everything's done. And that's what makes me so excited for the future is like, I just know that's going to continue to grow. So like the gap between us and them, I like to say, is already large and it's going to just get bigger over time. Like we never stop. There's always something new that there's always something pushing forward. Like to me, those accomplishments are massive. Like I think they're really, really cool. And I think once you start digging in and like really examining the space for what it is, it is colossal, and and I think we always forget about how big it is. Absolutely, yeah. You talked about that gap between us and other projects, perhaps, and there's undoubtedly a gap between you know where we are and where we need to be as well, too, looking forward. But yeah, just to kind of pick up on what you're talking about there a little bit too. You know, over this last year, we've got our 
our good friends at Moss that were, you know, in before us, but, you know, the refi ecosystem has definitely blossomed. You know, we're seeing, you know, other carbon credit tokenization projects, other nature-based uh, tokens and projects, other chains get involved too. We've got Silicon Valley VCs stepping in to fund projects. You know, now that there's so much interest and so much activity going on, how can Klima, you know, maintain its first mover advantage? Or is that crucial in your mind? You know, you really talked about competition there, you know, to what extent do you see that continuum between competition and cooperation, since, you know, so many of these other players are also part of the Klima ecosystem too? Yeah, hmm. this is actually one we discuss quite often in the strategy, like weekly calls that we do with the team. And everyone's got their own opinion, right? Like everyone's, everyone's different. I can just give you mine. I think we can maintain our first mover forever in a sense that like there is like all such a large gap financially between us and the next leader simply because of the, the raw amounts of tonnage we have. So like 18 million tons. If you were to recreate Klimadao today, it would cost you a fortune and you would have to spend a fortune to get colossal amounts of tonnage. Then forget about all the other stuff we've built in, like integrations, like all the sushi swap stuff, all the new stuff that we're doing with like all these other proposals. Like to get even there, like you would still always be playing catch up. So this first mover advantage, like I talked about this actually almost a year ago. I, I said this to the team and I said, guys, like, I don't think you understand how big first mover advantage is in crypto. It is massive. Like it is so much bigger than it is in web two because not only do you have first mover, but you're also like more likely to actually succeed. Cause like there's a stat that's like floated quite often. It's an old one, but it's like 93% of crypto startups like fail within the first year. This It's an abysmal failure rate and it's colossal, it's brutal. And if you compare that against Web2, like one in 10 startups like get somewhere, so like 10%. And then one out of 100 actually hit like escape velocity is like the typical statistic. There's like a lot of nuance on that number, but like it still is low, but it's still higher than like crypto. Crypto is just like, you don't even hit like <laughs> success in any sort of way. So the fact that we gotten this far we've maintained this gap is just like you have to overcome those odds and on top of that spend a lot of money like it's it's just and so this also begs the question all right so do you compete against climate or do you work with us in our view it's always about cooperation it's always about like can we work with this organization or find some way to work with them so a lot of projects are like realigning their ideas. They're basically saying, mm, maybe we should work with Klima or maybe we should figure out an angle to, to figure that out. And and we're open to it, right? We, we always say yes. Like we're really not interested in competing against. Uh, and I say this in like the, like this, I probably sound awful and arrogant in this entire podcast. So I apologize to anyone listening, but it's, it's more just like, this is all data driven, right? Winners have been chosen and we have basically this like thing. So What's I think emerging from refi summer and like all these people like actually sobering up with their ideas is that they've realized that it's no longer refi versus Vera. It's very much DeFi versus banks. It's still like the old discussion that we're having, not at even our level, but at a much higher level, like just Ethereum versus literally any banking institution or, you know, banking the unbanked and all that stuff. So we're now like looking at, okay, how do we collectively pursue goals together? that like further that in a way that's meaningful because otherwise if we don't cooperate our competition which is not within web 3 it's web 2 they will beat us right like they'll crush us at regulation they'll crush us at legislation they'll crush us at censorship and centralization like we will just won't ever be able to get ahead and i think it's important like for the next year especially for scaling like if we really want to scale this whole system it's got to be so big 
that these entities can't ignore it. And I think that's what you started to see with Ethereum and like the actual like DeFi space. Like when it first came out, it was like, it was a hilarious rug factory and DeFi summer was like super funny. And like, you could like, everyone was farming food coins and like there was nothing like, <laughs> nothing of value was like actually being created. It was just like comedic effect. But later, well, like a lot of really sophisticated instruments emerged as a result. And Olympus actually, if you look at the history, like Olympus is a lesson that was taught in DeFi summer. Like they basically learned that pool two was no good and that you couldn't provide incentives forever. So how do you bootstrap stuff and how do you bootstrap an entire economy without that? And so those designs actually came from a lot of those early lessons. And those early lessons are now being taught in refi. Like, like they've kind of figured that out. And I think that what they've realized is it's much better to work together on like a collective goal to move forward. And that's kind of what's happening in DeFi, right? Like they all kind of merge on the same things and they're like, okay, we got to push legislation forward. We got to work together to make sure this, the bill doesn't pass. We got to make sure that this gets adopted. We got to make sure that this banking institution recognizes this is valid. And like all this stuff that like collectively furthers the entire space forward. And I think that's what we're going to see in the refi space as well. It's like, everyone's gonna start looking at goals collectively, like how do we move the full space forward? And I think that's what I had, I had a conversation with a couple of protocols this week and last week about basically saying, we all have the same goal it seems, is we want Vera <laughs> to allow tokenization. We want these like massive registries to basically say yes to this new technology and innovation. And without it, like, many of the projects that like have started or are attempting to start up like a lot of like the forward stuff where they're like oh like we're gonna do blue carbon in the ocean we're gonna do like forestry management all that stuff it's irrelevant what they accomplish until that like piece gets unlocked right because they're like well if we can't tokenize what we're creating then how are we going to create these credits how are we going to register them on a registry if they don't see it as valid this is this is what i mean like we're going to go a lot further together than we are going to go separately and and i think that's kind of what's emerging and i'm, I'm hopeful that that's kind of where the future goes I want to say one thing about, you know, just what Archie was talking about. I mean, if a startup figures out distribution before the incumbent figures out the innovation, that's generally when a startup wins. So, you know, from that sense, I think it's just, you know, worth highlighting that like, I think, I mean, even though Vera as a standards body does feel a bit like an incumbent here, it's, you know, I'm kind of used to seeing that. And I think, you know, it's encouraging from my perspective to see that, you know, Klima's are well on its way to figuring out distribution. So great job on that. On, you know, where do I see DeFi going? I think people are really hooked, man. I mean, uh, you know, Matt Levine wrote a 40,000 word article and he's a crypto skeptic. I loved his writing. I, I think he's a phenomenal researcher and writer. I think reading up on how Olympus was described, the APY and the 3.3 and him calling it a Ponzi, that was painful for me to read, but it was also a moment of reflection for me on, well, why he said what he did. And that was largely a function of the content that was available to him. But the flip side of that whole uh, experience was that crypto gets you hooked in a funny way. I'm guessing, you know, you guys have been here longer, so you know, it's like, like it, starts, it starts forcing you to challenge a lot of your assumptions and learn a bunch of new things because you're getting bombarded with uh, with data. I guess that's kind of been the first attraction too, right? Like we finally have a lab where we can get transaction level data and run experiments. Like just, you know, for one context, one thing I'll throw in here, right? Like in denationalization of money, Friedrich Hayek is writing this in 1974. He describes a privately issued currency called the Ducat, which would be nominally backed by fiat and it would issue its own currency that is backed by fiat. And Hayek is speculating that this currency will have a premium over its backing because supply will be curtailed and they're going to try to maintain price stability. Now, fast forward to 2021 and you see 
one version of his thesis validated, a new form of currency that is backed by fiat, but it is giving an indication to regulate supply is going to have a monetary premium, uh, which is what we saw with Olympus. So I think that genie is out of the bottle. Digital scarcity is a really, really big deal. And if you can build uh, computer programs on top of digital scarcity, that's an even bigger deal. Now, you know, will this whole scheme run into the face of uh, authoritarian regimes and governments and regulators? Absolutely. I think it's going to be, I'm, I would say, cautiously optimistic that I think the United States will continue to make good decisions. But broadly, I mean, I see these systems challenging a lot of authority. And I think governments are going to push back quite a bit. But more and more people who take a deep enough look, they get pretty hooked, including the skeptics, because it's so fascinating. It's so fast moving. I am psyched about the future of DeFi. I don't know how governments are going to respond. My bet is that they are going to throw in a lot of uh, wrenches. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, it's going to be pretty hard because the nexus between governments and banks is very strong, right? Banks, finance, Yes, governments print money, but banks finance government incompetence, essentially. Right? That is a very strong nexus. You know, the opponents that like DeFi and crypto is up against, they're like, they're pretty powerful. And I think they're also waking up to realize this little weird innovation is actually scary. And like, it's not just like governments, right? I mean, it's like you see... Apple, a two trillion market cap company being like, okay, in the app store, you can't start listing. I mean, I'm not comfortable with uh, your NFTs giving some gated access. Like, So like reading Apple's new rules on uh, the app store related to cryptocurrency, uh, reading up generally on, you know, government response to DeFi and cryptocurrency. It doesn't look like that, you know, the, the I would say the guardians of uh, these nation states are accepting this thing with open arms because they're like, damn, this is scary challenger. And so, you know, I think in, in that respect, like I take a lot of comfort looking at Bitcoin's history, particularly, you know, when I think about how a country like China tried to ban Bitcoin mining, but like, you know, the program was just able to adjust by lowering the difficulty. That's pretty cool. I am not that convinced that a whole lot of other crypto projects can really survive a government onslaught. Like, you know, I mean, particularly in DeFi and particularly around Ethereum. I think like, you know, if in, including many of the projects I support, I mean, if if a government really wanted to shut something down, I mean, you know, many of these projects haven't reached the kind of Bitcoin level resilience in terms of that, like even China can't shut it down. Can we get there? That's something I'm hoping and kind of, you know, staying on the right for because with so much capability, people such as yourselves, you know, we'll hopefully get there. Oh, excellent. Definitely appreciate that that perspective and uh you know that that view on the resilience and what's gonna be necessary for the long run, definitely a challenge. Yep, definitely that. This question is actually for Arch itself. So if the Vera consultation doesn't pan out well, what would be Klima's like plan B, C, or even D? I mean, it, it's, it's like uh, there, is a, there, is, there is a lot to consider, right? Like the the biggest risk, existential risk, kind of to Asri's point, like can we outgrow the size or can we become resilient enough to these entities that face us? 
this was always something we knew going into this. Like we were like, we knew this was going to be a challenge. There was a, an opportunity at one point where we were discussing, what if they don't like it? What if they hate it? What if they hate us? <laughs> what if they want this to be closed? What if they spend their entire treasury trying to destroy us? It was a thought we all considered. We were like, this is a very material risk to the entire project. And how do we address it? And I think it's exactly that. You got to become so big that you can't be ignored. There's a lot to be said about kind of like what we were talking about earlier is like competition versus opportunity to cooperate. Like the actual bridging freeze that's occurring right now is is exactly that. It's like if we can show these institutions that if we cooperate, we are much bigger than them, that definitely sends a different message versus like if we're all competing for the same yield, then it doesn't really matter. Like they're, they're just going to ignore us. Be like, look, see, look, they're ephemeral. They'll be forgotten in a year or two. The longer we're here. So let's say like we five years from now, we're doing this podcast again. They look, there's like, they look, there's this lasting permanence that's like somehow outlasted everything we've thrown at them. They continue to build stuff. They continue to do things and they're totally unchanged by how this is operating. That's kind of what you've seen with the Bitcoin, Ethereum communities is like, it was very much opposed in, in many institutions and may, remains like a controversial thing. But slowly you're starting to see the change, right? Like in the last few years, definitely like there's definitely been more clear legislation, regulation on how to operate it as an instrument. There is a lot of good things that have come out over those, th- over those years. All of it has to do with the fact that there's time has passed. The longer people sit with an idea, the longer they can come to terms with it. And I think that's kind of what's happened is... It was also new so fast, and these organizations don't know what to do with it, and they have to think about it. And that's fine. I mean, that's typically what happens with incumbents. And to Aspie's point, like it's it's totally like how they operate. They want to reflect and carefully measure out everything. So I think that lasting permanence is going to go a long way. And that's the strategy is like, we're here for a long time, and we're not going anywhere. We're going to weather this out, and we're going to continue to like explore every single avenue possible to move things forward. Yep. So Archie, right. So going, looking forward, where do you see or where do you hope to see Klima one year from now? <laughs> I, I can't, we actually had this call like two weeks ago. We were on, on the team when we were talking about it. It was like, what, what's like a goal for us that's like realistic? And since we can't do any more bridging, we're like, okay, well, what we can do is we can do retirements. And so like we said, at a minimum next year, we should have another 330,000 tons retired. Like, at a very minimum and then maybe even more like people were saying well maybe we should be like closer to a million like we should be you know definitely starting to scale the level of our sales effort and i think that's doable i think it's definitely doable there are some large companies joining the space traditional companies with huge footprints that are like looking to offset even in the web3 space like we're looking at integrations that could possibly drive everything right so sushi swap is like a one good one that we've been testing for a while we're looking at other dexes that have similar setups or different ones i actually wrote a couple prototypes already those are going out so there's a lot of like stuff that's coming out and all of it points to one thing is just sales numbers right so like offsetting is a sales game right it's, that's all it is and it's going to take not just like core team and like the few contributors it's going to take the entire DAO, like essentially selling 
selling, 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 selling. Like, and that's, I'm famous for saying that in the, in the DAO is always be closing. Because any meeting I go to, I'm always trying to sell them something. Oh, you know what? That'd be great. We'd love to partner with you, but you got to offset. And then like, <laughs> there's a, there's always like something that comes out of it. And they're like, yeah, yeah. we're And more often than not, people are willing to say yes. Because it's generally not like a huge deal for them. And it's like, it's a win-win-win scenario for everybody. We use their product. They get publicity out of it. And they get to offset their footprint. And, you know, we make a sale. I think that's kind of like what we've all landed on is the next year is going to be a huge sales effort. Huge. And I think we are definitely, I think that's what I want to see in the next year is like a very targeted, a very sophisticated sales machine that basically moves this whole thing forward. Yeah, that's great. Definitely back to you, Asfi, as well, too. If you had anything else you'd like to chime in on. My closing thought is take care of yourselves. That's for all the contributors. This is a bear market. Don't drive yourselves crazy and, you know, treat yourself as a system. You need to uh, take care of yourselves in order to perform your best. Well, that's a great message for the community and a healthy one there with, uh, yeah, self-care and uh, sustainability to be in this for the long haul. Well, excellent. Yeah, it was definitely great to chat with Usfi and Archie there and Reku. Just a great chance to kind of, you know, reminisce about this journey. It's been quite a past year, especially even here on the podcast too. You know, we've just hit our 30,000 download mark and it was a great chance to look back and have a chat with uh, Usfi, who was our very, very first guest back in the day, almost exactly a year from now too. Did you have any reflections on the discussion that we just had there with, you know, where Klima is going and how well positioned Klima is to weather this crypto winter that we seem to be entering or we're in the middle of right now? Yeah, I think one of the things that I feel it's really important is that this is something that we do that can potentially change our lives. Maybe I'm getting a bit philosophical because I, I just came back from New Zealand and I know I really admired the nature and the beauty. It was incredible and I and it got me thinking like what Klima is protecting at the end of the day, it's the beauty of nature itself. Like I was just sharing with you, Fidris, like, you know, I was there and I experienced an Antarctic blast and, you know, I was supposed to be at like five to ten degrees and it went negative one because of climate change. Things like this happen. Like I experienced it firsthand myself. Crazy weather and just because of climate change. And you know, one year ago we talked so much about it and right now we have actually more than twenty million tons of carbon and and I totally agree with what Archie said. Like we got the attention of Vera and that's what we always wanted to, you know, challenge the norm and make it accelerate the things about, you know, fighting the fight against climate change and I feel that we have done something in the one year and I'm really excited to see what's next. Yeah, you mentioned those tons. I mean, that's just a, a massive opportunity there ahead of for us too to make a, a real impact on climate change. Well, that's great. Definitely good to kind of reflect on this conversation that we just had and hopefully you enjoyed that conversation too with uh, our first episode guest returning, Asfi and Archie, co-founder of Dow. Yeah, so thank you everybody for helping us along this journey and hitting that 30,000 download mark. We so appreciate you and we would so appreciate it as well if you can leave a like, subscribe, comment, follow, whatever it is on your favorite podcast platform. And it would be 
extra awesome if you were able to leave a comment saying that you know you've been here along for the ride for a year we'd love to hear your thoughts on this one-year journey we've had together on the planet the climates podcast so yes otherwise for everything klima make sure that you're hitting up klimadow.finance where you can stake bond and yes discover the link to our discord community so we hope that you'll join us and you're going to find a great group of climates and plenty of opportunities to contribute as well too along the way we hope you really enjoyed this chat with Aspie and Archie, and we'll look forward to connecting with you once again on the very next Planet of the Climates. <laughs>